was right beside the Lord his God as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the king of Israel and even made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from before the sons of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Then Rezin, king of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. At that time, Rezin, king of Aram, recovered Elath for Aram, and cleared the Judeans out of Elath entirely, and the Arameans came to Elath, and have lived there to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and deliver me from the hand of the king of Aram, and from the hand of the king of Israel, who are rising up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and sent a present to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria listened to him, and the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and captured it and carried the people of it away into exile to Kerr and put Rezin to death. Now, we've got Ahaz here, and uh, how was his kingship uh, morally and spiritually? Not, not too good. Didn't do right like David had done. What was the model he followed? Israel. That's not good. The only others, I believe, that said they uh, followed the ways of the kings of Israel were Jehoram and Ahaziah, who were Ahab's son-in-law and grandson. They were related to him. So... Um, this is this is a pretty low point to say he was like the kings of Israel. What were some of the things he did? It's like he sacrificed his son. Yeah, he sacrificed his son and involved himself in general idolatrous practices. You know that that's the worst thing. He becomes a dedicated polytheist. You know, what would possess a king to worship a bunch of different idols? He felt like he cover all the bases to get, in case there's any truth in any of them, we'll worship them all. That's it. You're hoping some god will be give you success, will uh, save you from your troubles, and, you know, things like that. You know, so if you, if you worship on all, them all... You know, that ought to work. You know, it almost reminds me, you know, there are some uh, people and companies and so forth that contribute to the political campaigns of both sides. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they'll get money to both. That way, whoever wins, they'll have influence with. <laughs> you know, it sounds kind of funny, but it happens. So that's kind of the idea. You know, hedge your bets, get them all uh, paid off. Um, which really shows you he has no understanding of the Lord or appreciation for the Lord whatsoever. Uh, he pro- is provoking the Lord to jealousy. Well, there's a threat that Ahaz faces. What was that? The Syrians. Yeah, the uh, Syrians, uh, the Arameans, uh, Rezin was the king of Aram, or Syria, allied with Pekah, the king of Israel. So this was a Syria-Israel coalition, and they besieged Ahaz, but, Ahaz, but couldn't beat him. Uh, but they are threatening again. Now, really, Ahaz has has some options in this conflict with Syria and Israel. What are some of the options that he would have as to what to do? Well, 
find somebody to help him. Like Assyria, or turn to God. Turn to God, or surrender. Surrender. Yeah, I think those are the options. Uh, there's one of those that works a lot better than the other two, and that's not the one he chose. <laughs> uh, because in verse seven, what does he do? He collects the money again out of the temple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever is left, or how much they re- have replaced. Surely they've got to replenish once in a while, because it ought to all be gone by now. Um, and where does he send it? Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. That's exactly right. He says, I'm your uh, servant and your son. Please come up and deliver me. And he begins the process by which Assyria becomes actively involved in Judah's politics. You know, you invite the Assyrian in, and the problem is then you can't get him out. You know, you get the, I don't know, the nose of the camel or something in the tent, and pretty soon the whole camel is trying to get in there. So uh, that kind of becomes a problem for him. But at the moment it seems like Assyria will help him in staving off this coalition attack from his neighbors to the north. And the king of Assyria listened to him and went against Damascus and carried them into exile to where? Where did he exile the people of Syria? Kerr. Kerr. Know anything about Kerr? Mm -hmm. What do you know? It's where they came from in the first place. Where where does it say that? (laughs) What book? Amos. You got a center column of reference. <laughs> Amos nine seven. Yes, Amos nine seven. God had uh, delivered them from Kerr and brought them to Damascus in the first place. Now they're going back where they came from, as the Assyrian king Tiglath Pileser uh, sends them into exile. So this is kind of like a reverse exodus for Syria. So um, they were. How, what was the situation that brought them there? When I thought they were captured and brought there. Or well, it doesn't really say it that way in Amos. In Amos 9-7, God is trying to say, you're no better than the, anybody else is, Israel. He says, are you not as the sons of Ethiopia to me, O sons of Israel, declares the Lord? Have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaftor and the Arameans from Kerr? So he just said he brought them up. But the situation, I don't know. And so now, keep laughing, please, Sending them back. Sending them back. <laughs> right back where they originated. Yes, so he obviously had control of that area now. Well, yeah, exactly. And I mean, he conquers uh, Syria, and then we know he conquered Samaria. I mean, the Syrian kings did. I mean, of Kerr. So okay, yes, okay, good sending them there was sending them into his one of his territories. Right, right. Dispersing them, I assume. I assume that as well. So, Gary, are we saying that this uh, event here happens before or after what's written in Amos about Kerr? It occurs after. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Because Amos actually predicted that they would go to Kerr in Amos uh, 1 and verse 5, so the people of Aram will go exiled to Kerr, says the Lord. That's the last last part of Amos 1-5. So yeah, Amos was um, several years before um, Ahaz, maybe like um, 30, 40, 50 years before Ahaz. That might be the name. Looks like a minute. Amos prophesied possibly 50 he, years before. Yeah, 40, 40 50 years before uh, this event. Yeah. Now maybe, 
I said that, yeah. Be 30, 30 years, 30 to 40. So it works. You know, sometimes when you do the wrong thing, it works out for you. And that often is a really bad thing because then it makes you think that you can just do the wrong thing. That'll, be, that'll work out fine. And, uh, <coughs> you know, things sometimes work and don't work. <laughs> this one worked, but then it kind of came back to uh, bite them as the Assyrian decided to, uh, you know, why stop with Aram and Israel? There's another kingdom right below them, and have already tasted some of the uh, silver and gold that's in their kingdom, you know, so why not go ahead and just invade them? And so he double-crosses his ally, you know. Remind you, I mean, isn't that what Hitler did with Russia in World War II? I mean, he allied with them, and then, when he got ready, he turned against them and conquered them, <laughs> or tried to. Uh, so, thoughts or comments uh, through verse 9? So who had control of Damascus when he captured it? The Syrians, the Arameans, Rezin was the king. But he was working with Israel. Israel. So I think Tiglath-Pileser first conquered Syria, Aram, and then a little later they conquered Israel. Okay, yeah, so, I mean, the, the setting is that Israel and Aram are joining forces against Judah. Correct. And he's like, come and help me. But then all the only thing it addresses is Aram. Right, yeah, here it's the only thing he right. mentions. So, Although we will see in chapter 17 how Assyria conquers Israel. So, so he will mention that too. He just isn't doing that right here. Granted, taking Aram out of the picture probably left Israel incapable of... And have an ally. Continuing to pressure Judah. <laughs> right, I agree, and they were suffering pretty much pressure from Assyria. They didn't really have much resources to deal with Judah. Yeah. But I, I, I guess just in saying that, it seems interesting that uh, Israel and Aram are allies, yet Damascus belongs to Aram and not to Israel where it once belonged. Does that make, you see what I'm saying? It's like, hey, we're buddies, but you've got my city. <laughs> yeah, but that was uh, only pretty much in the glory days of David and Solomon. That, for the most part, the Israelites didn't hold that, that area. Other comments? 10 to 20. King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw the altar which was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Urijah the priest the pattern of the altar and its model, according to all its workmanship. So Urijah the priest built an altar, according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. Thus Urijah the priest had made it before the coming of the King Ahaz from Damascus. When the king came from Damascus, the king saw the altar, then the king approached the altar and went up to it and burned his burnt offering and his meal offering and poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings on the altar. The bronze altar, which was before the Lord, he brought from the front of the house from between his altar and the house of the Lord, and he put on it he put it on the north side of his altar. Then King Ahaz commanded Urijah the priest, saying, Upon the great altar, burn the morning burnt offering and the evening meal offering and the king's burnt offering and his meal offering 
with the burnt offering of all the people of the land and their meal offering and their drink offerings and sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice. But the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. So Uriah the priest did according to all that King Ahaz commanded. Then King Ahaz cut off the borders of the stands and removed the laver from them. And he also took down the sea from the bronze oxen which were under it and put on it a pavement of stone, the covered way for the Sabbath, yeah, the covered way for the Sabbath which they had built in the house, and the outer entry of the king he removed from the house of the Lord because of the king of Assyria. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz which he did are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Ahaz slept with his fathers and buried with his fathers in this and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And Hezekiah's son reigned in this place. Alright, so Ahaz goes to Damascus to encounter Tiglath Pileser, and he saw this altar in Damascus, and he really fell in love with this thing. Now the burnt offering altar of the tabernacle and the temple was made of what? Bronze. Bronze. There was another altar, the one inside the temple. It was made of gold. gold. But it was the incense altar. So, he sees this altar and um, he, he has a uh, you know blueprint sent to Uriah the priest for Uriah to make one just like it. <laughs> you know, it's almost like, uh, I don't know, going to somebody's house and, I don't know, seeing... Um, some knick-knack or doodad or whatever that, that you really want and going out and buying one for yourself or making one for yourself or whatever. Man, this is an awesome altar. Now, wonder why you like the altar so much. <laughs> Did he think it was, like, more effective than his altar? Or Might be. <laughs> Might be. Was he trying to be, like, I don't know, like, trying to make the other people like him because he was like, oh, your altar is so cool, but I'm going to... Could be. It. Yeah, it could be. What else? Who is to a different god? Yeah, probably so. So each god has to have a different altar. Yes. <laughs> is it possible that it was bigger? Like this is it may be. the great altar. So yeah, it may be. Bigger is better. Maybe. I, I think fundamentally, Ahaz is the kind of guy who likes to follow you know, the latest religious trends and fads and things like that. You know, oh, that would be a great thing for our tavern temple. You know, he likes to pick up, you know, religious insights from other traditions and incorporate it into their worship. Um, it makes you seem sophisticated and cultured and, you know, you're not some ignoramus, you know, you, you actually know some of these special things or whatever. Um, so, so he has Urijah make this altar, and but he's also got the bronze altar. So, what's what's gonna how is the deal gonna be with the division of labor between these two altars? Mostly on the new one. Yeah, all the sacrifice and all that kind of stuff are gonna be on the one he just had built. Unless you actually need to know something from God, in which case you're going to go with the other altar. Exactly. <laughs> if you want to ask God for guidance. It's like the silliest thing ever. <laughs> yes. Well, it's really silly because he didn't bother to ask God for guidance about whether or not to do this. 
you know, what's the use of inquiring about that if you didn't even inquire about making this altar as the altar for inquiry only? <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could if I tried. <laughs> You didn't inquire about the altar of inquiry. That's exactly right. But it's just like the stupidest thing ever because obviously he knows, like, you know, this is the quote-unquote real altar because otherwise, you know, why would he use it as the altar to inquire by if the new altar was really just as good? So, like, duh, you know your new altar is not worth anything. What are you doing? Reminds you of Jehoshaphat and... We want to know what the Lord really says before I go. And he says we're going to lose. I want so I'm going to go. So I'm going to go. I don't get it. It's, well, it's like, I'm going to do whatever I want, but I know what God says. But, but now think about how people are today. You know, they make up their mind to do some outrageously wrong thing. And then they say, you know, I'm just going to let the Lord lead me. You know, I, they're, they're going to marry, you know, somebody that's divorced. Well, I, I just, I just, didn't, I'm, I'll just let the Lord take care of that. He'll, I'll just let Him lead me. Well, if you were letting the Lord lead you, you wouldn't have done that in the first place. You know, we like to talk about letting the Lord lead us. You know, we like to talk a good game and following what God says. We don't always live it. It's kind of like in Judges seventeen. It's like, it's like I wholly dedicate this silver to build an idol, you know, to the Lord. Or whatever I only dedicate this silver to the Lord to build an idol. It's just like totally appalling. That it's well, and then in that case, out of the eleven hundred uh, pieces of silver, she only manages to use two hundred. That was yeah. that was what her total dedication involved. <laughs> totally dedicated. Uh, yeah, a fifth of it or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I can understand people maybe sometimes being legitimately confused or, like, misled about what the Lord says, but I cannot understand people being like, I know the Lord says this, but I'm just going to do this other thing. Well, I mean, you know, the Lord's broad-minded, right? <laughs> you know. I mean, maybe they think that God's more concerned with their happiness than their <laughs> holiness. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> It, it, it's outrageous, but it's exactly what people do. And uh, he's led by what he sees. He sees this altar, that's what he wants. And uh, he's led by wanting to be like the other nations. And he's really not concerned about the will of God at all, but he can really talk nicely about God. I think Ahaz was just about the most pathetic king you've ever had. Uh, the, him and Manasseh rival to me is the bottom of the low. So what do you think about Uriah? I mean, he just goes along with it. All his orders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tore down the other parts. Mm-hmm. Took the, the huge bronze bowl <clears throat> down and put it on concrete. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know why it had to be moved. I guess to make room for the big altar. <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah, I would think that might be the case. All right. Other thoughts and comments on this chapter and on the reign of Ahaz. It mentions Judeans in verse six. Just noticed that note on that or something. It's the first time that that appears. Hmm. By that. Uh, Maybe I don't remember before that. So. 
in the modern order of the New Testament scriptures it appears here for the first time <laughs> interesting other thoughts so Hezekiah is taking over but meanwhile we need to uh, finish off Israel so uh, chapter 17 verses 1 to 6 in the twelfth year of Ahaz king of Judah, Hosea the son of Elak became king over Israel and Samaria and reigned nine years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, only not as the kings of Israel who were before him. Shalmaneser king of Assyria came up against him, and Hosea 